amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Why are you always in the bathroom when I call? I can't fucking believe this. Well, we got our show open, don't we? Welcome back to the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. I am the greatest host on the face of the earth, Arya Whitner. That is my brother, Brian. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing quite easy. Coming to you live for the mainstream of Dunstown, Pennsylvania. Dunstown? It seems appropriate that the show started with you taking a crap. Well, of course it has to, you know, that, that, that's freaking back to old school when I used to take shit and messes and everything else in the normal show. So this time around, I figured I'll start with the new thing and just go right at the beginning. In case you've had the pleasure of never listening to us before, this... Why have you not listened to us? This is a wrestling podcast that, while we review the same crap everybody else apparently does, um, we're a bit different in how we do it. Really? Explain. Well, for instance, I'll watch the shows, I'll do 99% of the talking, and Brian will go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and when Brian does... It worked so well, it worked so well last time, why do Occasionally, I'll finish a sentence without Brian cutting me off. And also, um, when you listen to our shows, you can tell what shows Brian didn't watch and he's completely bullshitting his way through a review of. Never. We have have about 134 episodes. I'm sure you can find one or 100 that uh, prove that theory. So, uh, what the hell are, are you watching over there? Please turn off your television. I muted it. Oh my god. I, I think I'm ready to quit already. I was ready to quit before we even started the show. Brian... Do you remember the text I sent you that said what show to watch? Roughly, yeah. What show did I tell you to watch, Brian? <laughs> I don't know. You uh, uh, snapped it and put a picture of it on Facebook. No, I didn't. I texted a picture of it to you. Yes, 
where I told you to watch the April 10th, 2000 Nitro. And what show did you watch, Brian? Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Uh, you, uh, January 1st, I believe? January 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, oh, so, see, so season two of WOP, we're going to go on to the network and review the Vince Russo Reign of Terror in WCW. We're skipping the first one from October to January. We're going to be reviewing every Nitro from April 10th until October 30th, and we're also going to review every pay-per-view that we haven't already reviewed. And we've already reviewed in prior episodes Bash at the Beach and New Blood Rising. Um, Every week we'll basically, since Thunder isn't on the network, or I forced Brian to watch it totally. Um, every every week, you know, I'm going to tell you basically what you missed on Thunder and to catch you up. Um, now, this week, of course, is easy because what you missed on Thunder was literally nothing. Since on April on April 3rd, the day after WrestleMania, they um, what we call they aired best of shows on Nitro and Thunder, basically. To kill all storylines to bring you to this point. So, in case you somehow don't know, um, the storyline basically went that Vince Russo was brought in for the WWF in October. After three months of ratings going down, attendance going down, and pay per view buy rates going down, uh, Brad Siegel of WCW finally listened to Kevin Sullivan and Mike Graham and JJ uh, Dillon. And they uh, demoted Vince Russo and put Kevin Sullivan in charge. Now, you might recall that led to the radicals, uh, Shane Douglas and Conan, all leaving. Uh, you might recall that uh, the ensuing three months were the most hideously boring set of television ever, in which ratings continued to go down, pay-per-view buy rates continued to go down, attendance continued to go down, and so they decided it was time to bring back Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff together. Now, the storyline on camera, Brian, was that the two of them were equals and the two of them were, you know, a combined force. In reality, Vince Russo was basically the head writer by himself and he had to run everything by Eric Bischoff. So... Now, Brian, I've got a surprise for you. Yes, Leah? A, would you please stop eating during the show? I'm not, actually. I'm taking a, I'm taking a sip of my diet ginger ale. A sip. It's not like you're eating a, a giant sandwich. Anyway. No, not yet. So later on, on this show, we will be joined for three minutes, roughly... By Eric Bischoff. I was ex- I was expecting a better response to that, but um, not really, not really. Um, what really happened was on April 11th, the day after this show, Eric Bischoff appeared on Wrestling Observer Live, and courtesy of Brian Alvarez, Dave Meltzer, and Wrestling Observer Live, I'm go. I have a snippet of audio. From that show with Eric Bischoff talking about the Mike Awesome situation. 
And so I'll play I'll play that at the I'll, Yep, I'll play that at the end of this show. So speaking of Mike Awesome, that's the big news. Well, the other big news going into this show. Um the plan was for Mike Awesome to show up as a surprise and throw down the ECW title on TV. Paul Heyman found out about this and took WCW to court. Um to make a very long story short, and you'll hear Eric talk more about it later, uh, they allowed to let Mike Awesome out of his contract as long as he returned to the company on April 13th in Indianapolis and lose the belt to any one of Paul's choosing. The announcers were also to mention the April 13th show and plug the TNN show on Friday night where Awesome uh, would defend the title where they'd show the title loss from the night before. We'll get into it more, but Tony Schiavone cost WCW a six-figure payday because WCW then had to pay Paul Heyman a low six-figure amount because Tony Schiavone decided to mute Scott Hudson when Scott Hudson was doing as he was told to do, and Tony Schiavone decided on his own to not allow him to do it. And so... They they made kind of half-assed mentions to Awesome being champion and having a title defense. However, the actual part that he was supposed to say was never said on television. Paul Heyman took them back to court. There was actually a brief period of time where it seemed like he wasn't going to be allowed to go to WCW, but WCW paid them a, a low six-figure amount. Awesome got out of his contract, went to WCW, and you're going to see over the next six to seven months just how badly they butchered this. Yeah. So, Brian, you ready for the show? Oh, I'm thrilled beyond belief. Would you please mute or turn off your television? We can still hear it. It is muted. Uh huh. And please keep it muted. Uh-huh. It is. Okay. It is. So the show begins with Brian Knobs being set on fire. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does, technically. Um, they show the bird poop logo, the WCW bird poop logo, and uh, they have a brand new screen, a brand new set, and they set up a shit ton of pyro. Some of the pyro fell down and set Brian Knobs' head on fire. Really? Yes. One of the reasons. Yes. Yes. And among the people, you see basically everybody under the age of 40 already in the ring or standing outside of it. Besides Fit Finlay. Among the people you see and will never. And we'll never see again, by the way, is Vincent slash Virgil and Molly Holly were all among the people standing outside the ring, and you never see them again. <sighs> so, this uh, led to the only people, by the way, who came out afterwards were Scott Steiner, The Wall, Vampiro, Kidman in a Suit, Van Hammer, of all people, Ernest the Cat Miller, Tori Wilson, 
Booker T and Jeff Jarrett all came out. Um, Jarrett took the mic, said that he was the chosen one. We should have a drinking game for every time we hear that over the next six months. And he said that he was hand right. he was handpicked to be the next world champion by the man who turned the WWF around. Uh, they referred to Kevin Sullivan, Mike Graham, and J.J. Dillon as the good old boys, which began the series of um, the series of inside terminology used all throughout the show that no one in the audience understood because Vince Russo booked for the internet. And the internet was in its infancy in early 2000. Uh, Jared introduced Jared introduced Vince McMahon's best kept secret, Vince Russo, and out came Vince Russo for the first time ever on WCW television. Um, in real life, he used the Road Warriors Iron Man song, but they don't they're not going to pay you know fees for that song. Uh, they used the uh, Song that, if you watch the old WWE Saturday Night, they, ironically enough, used the song the Road Warriors used uh, on those old Saturday Night shows. Um, I want to point out, everybody else is dressed in their nicest dress clothes, a nice suit, and Vince Russo comes out dressed like a slob. Are you surprised? Nope. All, all that was missing was a Yankees cap. Or something he made you the peril. Yeah. Russo said he came to WCW to beat Vince McMahon in his own game, but the good old boys brought Russo down. He mentioned that Benoit and Guerrero and Malenko left, and they knew that it was all bullshit. Russo said that he was in charge now, and the inflated egos are over. This is the dawning of a new day, and told them to seize the opportunity, Brian. Looks like he could barely stay away. This brought out this brought out Eric Bischoff. Now, Brian, what you may not know, because Vince Russo books for the internet, but they leaked stories to the internet before this show, saying that Russo and Bischoff were at odds and that they were going to be heads of the opposing groups, that Bischoff was going to be head of the Millionaires Club and Russo was going to be in charge of the New Blood. So, of course... To swerve the internet, Eric Bischoff comes out and they hug. They are in cahoots. They kiss and they hug. They fight, they kiss, they make up. They fight, they kiss, and they make up. What do they do after they fight? They kiss and make up. Hmm. Okay. Now this was Bischoff's first appearance on Nitro since he got demoted back in September. Um, and he pointed out that he was screwed by the same people that screwed Russo. He said that being away made him realize all his mistakes. Mistakes like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sting, DDP, Sting, or I said Sid, and the biggest mistake he ever made, Hulk Hogan. All right, there. That's about, that's about eight to nine million dollars of your uh, uh, talent revenue, right there, or your. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Bischoff officially named uh, the under forty group the New Blood before calling out all the old guys. 
And the only four old guys who bothered to show up to work on time, by the way, were DDP, Sting, Luger, and Sid. Um, Sid being world champion. Yes, world champion, Sid Vicious. Um, Bischoff mocked all of them for actually bothering to come to work. Um, and this was all about putting over the non-wrestlers. I say non-wrestlers, but trust me, that'll change, Brian, won't it? Oh, God. Well, I just meant Bischoff and Russo, the non-wrestlers. Oh, oh, that's going to be okay. Yeah. Russo told Ric Flair, who wasn't even at the arena yet, he called Ric Flair a piece of shit and will personally flush him down the toilet. Uh, I have to straighten him off the bottom of the shelf. Yep. Uh, then he said this was an even playing field and announced that all champions were stripped of their titles. The fans began chanting for Goldberg as Jared and the Harris brothers and Brian Nobbs. And you don't see it on camera, but they had to have done it. Uh, the artist, formerly known as Prince Iakea, they all gave up their championships. And then Eric Bischoff ordered Sid, and by the way, all the old guys were standing up in front of the uh, video wall, Bischoff ordered Sid. Yeah. Hey, it was nice in the old entrance. Do you not remember the bird poop logo entrance? I do. You you know why? By the way, before before we continue, do you know why I keep calling it the bird poop logo? I do not know. Because WCW, in their infinite wisdom, paid money for advertising. I don't know if this was in a newspaper or because I know they took. Uh, advertising out in Sports Illustrated as well, but they advertised the new WCW logo, and and one of the ways that they advertised it was by having somebody say that it looked like something a bird pooped out. What what better ways to put over your product, right? I can't think of any other. By the way, back to uh, reality. Eric Bischoff told Sid to bring him the world title, and so Sid, six foot nine, three hundred pounds, muscular, built like a brick shit house, told Bischoff to bring his scrawny ass over there and take it. So Eric Bischoff, scrawny ass non wrestler. In which case, Eric Bischoff did. Yes. Bischoff, scrawny-ass little guy, walks up without even blinking an eye, walks right up to Sid, gets in his face, and then in the moment that everyone always thinks of when they talk about this show, Eric Bischoff asks Sid if he can't find his scissors. The announcers flip the fuck out like this was the absolute worst thing you could possibly say to Sid. The... There you go. I figured you would actually know that. But Brian is like the crowd who had no fucking clue what Bischoff was talking about. Brian, would you like to know what Bischoff was talking about? Way back when, in 1993, Sid Vicious and Arn Anderson got into a fight in a hotel room in England, and 
Sid and Arn Anderson stabbed each other with scissors. Yes. It was a famous thing at the time. Uh, Sid was supposed to win the world title from Vader at the Starcade that Flair ended up winning it on. But then he got fired for this. And uh, so Flair ended up getting it. And so Eric Bischoff on national TV said that. And then he thought, well, they, no one reacted, so they mustn't have heard him. But, so he said it again. And again, nobody cared. And so Sid, since he yeah. And so Sid, after apparently not being able to find his scissors, took off his title and gave it to Bischoff. And that was the well. That was the end of this segment, Brian. Twenty minutes. Well, we're 20 minutes. I'd say we're 20 minutes into the show, so you know. So Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson, and Mark Matter at ringside recapping everything. After commercial, Hulk Hogan finally arrives. More than 20 minutes into the show, it gets better. We'll we'll get into it. Hogan. Oh, that was before commercial. After commercial. Hogan begins taping his wrists for some reason. When Sting comes in and said that Bischoff told Hogan off, so Hogan left to go find Bischoff in what, by the way, is the biggest arena in the history of arenas, apparently. We'll, we'll get to this later. Hulk Hogan, by the way, has now been on camera twice. I, I don't know if we should keep a running count, but that's now two times for Hogan. Okay, so we get told that... There's going to be a four-man tournament with the old guys who bothered to show up to work on time. The winner of the tournament tonight will face Jeff Jarrett for the world title at Spring Stampede. You got that? So far, so good. With that said, they did one good thing, in my opinion. They, uh, the first match was DDP versus Lex Luger. And the story was that both men did not have their music, pyro, and light shows. They had it stripped away, and that the story was that they had to earn their music and their pyro and their light show. And I thought that was a cool little touch. Yeah, it was. It pissed off very people, and, you know, the well, the problem with that was the lack of follow-up, because I believe this was the only match where they did that in. Am I right? Yes, you are correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, this match sucked. Um, Luger, Luger screwed up a neckbreaker and almost fell on page. Um... He then kicked Page in the groin. Scott Hudson called this match pay-per-view quality, which probably explains to you why people stopped buying their pay-per-views. Uh, Mark Madden ripped on Page and said that he wasn't really hurt when he was out for the last three months, which I'm sure Page just loved. Lex Luger's in control, yeah. 
when suddenly Buff Bagwell's music started playing. In the middle of the match, Buff Bagwell's music started playing. Yeah. Out came Buff, who, by the way, he got music, he got pyro, and Luger had the reaction that the rest of us did. What the fuck? Now, uh, the finish of this fucking match. Okay, we'll be, we'll complain about a lot of finishes, but let's start. Like, this one takes the cake. Oh, yeah. So, Bagwell comes out and begins hitting on Kimberly, which at least shows a little bit of continuity, because before he got injured, Paige and Bagwell were having a really hot feud over Bagwell allegedly hitting on Kimberly. Uh, that distracted Paige, so Bagwell then went over and started hitting on Liz and began forcing himself on Liz. So Luger got distracted, Paige hit the diamond cutter, a, a crappy-looking diamond cutter, by the way, and won. Yeah. By the way... It was a pretty shitty diamond cutter. Do I need to explain to you why Elizabeth is going to be a big part of the storyline for the next month? No, go ahead. Explain to people who may not understand it. Tell me, do you understand it, Brian? Okay, where where does Vince Russo live, or where where did he grow up? No. What what accent does he have from? Okay, New York. And and what company is based mostly out of New York? And Vince Russo was a probably a teenager in the eighties. When what woman was the biggest sex symbol on WWF television? I I am not lying when I say that Miss Elizabeth is going to get a lot of TV time because of Vince Russo's 13-year-old boy crush when he was uh, watching WWF television as a kid. And we'll get into this as we, yeah we'll get into this as we go on go along, but. Miss Elizabeth refused on multiple occasions to be stripped to her underwear on TV. She refused to wrestle. Yeah, like, Vince was obsessed with having her stripped to her underwear on TV. And I just want to say for the record, she never gets stripped to her underwear. So backstage, Hulk Hogan is still looking for Eric Bischoff. Three, by the way. Oh, we're going to keep a count right here of all the non-wrestling segments in a row. Because, oh boy, wait till we get to the end. Yeah. Because if you thought, you know, that was a bad wrestling match, but hey, who needs wrestling on this wrestling show, right? Exactly. And it makes no sense to me either. So Hogan's looking all over the arena for Eric Bischoff, and then Kurt Hennig has found Vince Russo, and asked Russo why he's not getting a world title shot. So Russo booked Jared versus Kurt Hennig, and the winner gets the world title match at Spring Stampede. Hulk Hogan oh, is still looking for yeah. Hulk Hogan is still looking for Eric Bischoff. Biggest arena in the world, I'm telling you. Tank Abbott is out. Tank Abbott is out next. For I don't know if this is the low light of the show or not. 
Um, he's being built up to lose to Goldberg, basically. Um, Goldberg's not going to be back for about six to seven weeks. And so Vince Russo decided to push Tank Abbott so he could lose to Goldberg. And by the way, I can't wait to review that match. Oh, boy, I can't wait. That was an actual match? Goldberg and Tank Abbott. I, I Actually, e- even more than that, I can't wait to share with you the build-up to that match. Just remember, David Arquette was world champion for 12 days, and he defended the title on Nitro one night. And based on what I'm saying, I'll let you assume who he defended and defeated in a title match on TV was. However, that's not coming for a few weeks. So let's let everybody else dot those two together, huh? So yeah, that sounds like a plan. Scary plan, but definitely a plan. So Tank Abbott, hint, 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 um, has decided that even though he doesn't know the difference between a wristwatch and a wrist lock, that that's by the way his quote. He does know how to kick yeah. ass, and he said he's here to kick Goldberg's ass. And until Goldberg shows up, he will beat the holy hell out of every innocent victim he can find. Until then. So he beat up Mark Madden. Mark Madden, who, let's just say, in case you've never watched wrestling, he has a physique similar to Brian and myself. Would would you say that's a fair comparison, Brian? Maybe to you. Oh, really? To you. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I love to see it without your shirt on. Um, actually, I wouldn't. Let me know, Brian's greatest contribution to the show is the screen woo. So anyway, he beats up Mark Madden, throws him in the ring, rips off, rips off Mark Madden's t-shirt, and beats up the lead, not the lead announcer, but one of the three main announcers of the company. Jeff Jarrett was backstage complaining to Vince Russo about having to wrestle Kurt Hennig, and Russo said that he wasn't. Well, Russo's defense was he. Well, Russo said that he wasn't J.J. Dillon. By the way, do you have anything to say about the Tank Abbott segment? Poor Tank Abbott being forced to beat straight off Mark Madden. Anything else? Yeah. Mike would be fine if someone with a better physique. Like the Peter Shivani. Or even Hudson. Don't worry, Hudson gets embarrassed soon enough. Billy Kidman was walking backstage and complaining that he had to do this. Hulk Hogan was still looking for Eric Bischoff. And I want to point out these last three things, Jared complaining to Russo, Kidman walking backstage, and Hogan walking backstage, took a total of 20 seconds to play out on TV. Pretty fast, pretty, 
Yes. So after commercial, Hulk Hogan is still looking for Eric Bischoff. Longest space arena in the world. That is not a typo. But this time, believe it or not, he found Bischoff. But Bischoff is a smarmy... Bischoff is a smarmy asshole and told Hogan that Sid and Sting are full of shit and they are friends. By the way, Sid never told Hogan a damn thing. Sid was never even on TV. However, you know, maybe it was a pre-tape that actually got cut. I guess they... It was five too many seconds. Up next, Billy Kidman came out to the ring for the 10th straight non-wrestling segment. He didn't count very well. Oh, it continues. Kidman cut a heel promo about the egomaniacs in the back. He said he was used and abused and told to keep his mouth shut. But tonight is his night. And he is out here to address... You haven't improved at all, have you, Brian? No, I have not. you got to wait for me to finish a sentence here, kid. Okay. So, Kidman said that... I hate you. Why do you hate me now? For burping right into the phone during the show. I have no idea what you're talking about. So Kidman was used and abused and told to keep his mouth shut, but tonight is his night. He is out here to address the biggest egomaniac, Hulk Hogan. Kidman said that Hogan was ripping on his lack of size, and I should point out that Hogan never said any of these things on TV. Of course not. Anyway. Kidman's just making them up. No, Hogan said them on the Bubba the Love Sponge show, which, by the way, is not aired on WCW television. You mean the guy who's, like, cheating on him with? Yes. So Kidman said that he will never have Hogan's body, but Kidman does have heart and talent, and called Hogan a pile of shit before calling the Hulkster out. Hogan then left Bischoff's office and just happened to see a TV screen with Kidman mocking his bald spot, and the announcers continued to talk about how we all knew what Hogan said. No, we didn't. Brian, do you know what Hogan said about Kidman? On the Lovefun show? Yeah. Apparently he said that Kidman uh, was too small and couldn't headline a flea market wrestling show. These things, these things were never said on TV. But now we're all supposed to know what the fuck he's talking about. God. Oh, okay. Shivani. Shivani, in the insider comment of his night, said that these things, and I quote, 
brought Kidman's work rate down. Like, what the fuck? Like, really? So Hogan came out and towered over Kidman. Hogan, by the way, was like only 6'4", 6'5", like a good six, seven, eight inches taller than Kidman. And he said he's been listening to Kidman cry for months and said he gives the young guys a bad name. Uh, Kidman said that Hogan's run was over. So Hogan said that Kidman was pussy whipped. So Kidman was on the attack, Brian. And for 30 seconds... If I was pussy whipped by Corey Wilson, I would not complain a single bit. Hogan sold for 30 seconds. Kidman beat his ass for 30 seconds. And then he beat the holy living fuck out of Kidman. He beat Kidman's ass all over the ringside area. He threw him in the ring. He made Kidman into a complete joke on night one. And so Bischoff came out with a chair and hit Hogan with it. It was a swerve, Brian. In fact, it was a double swerve. Because the announcer said that Bischoff really swerved Russo and was really friends with Hogan. So then it was a swerve when Bischoff turned on Hogan. And then Kidman, who just got his ass kicked all over the place, covered Hogan, Bischoff made the count, and Kidman, quote-unquote, pinned Hulk Hogan. But it had nothing to do... The wrestling god. Yeah. It had nothing to do with Kidman. Eric Bischoff beat Hulk Hogan in this match. Hogan, though, was nice enough to wear a white shirt, so the blood that he got from the chair shot trickled onto his white shirt for five seconds. For five seconds, because we immediately cut away to Ric Flair arriving by limo, 50-plus minutes late, by the way. Should be at this point. Bleeding Hulk Hogan threw stuff around backstage. He said son of a bitch a lot. Yes, he was. Eric Bischoff watched the replay of the opening segment on a monitor. monitor, And then, in a completely different segment, Ric Flair came out for the 14th straight non-wrestling segment of the show. After all the swearing on this show... The only apologies the entire time, Scott Hudson apologized for Hulk Hogan saying, son of a bitch. Not shit, Dan. Fuck hell. You sure? I think so. Fuck. Okay, okay. So... Flair came out and said that Russo grew up watching him and now has the audacity to call him old. He pointed out that just because we have new talent doesn't mean he isn't great. He said Russo watched Babe Ruth, and I want to point out Russo is not that old. Since Babe no, Ruth, 
Babe Ruth was dead long before Vince Russo was alive. Flair said that... Flair said that he, Hogan, Sting, and Page did not get old. They got great based on their own abilities and said that at least Bischoff had the guts to walk up the sit earlier while Russo has no guts. 1991 broke out as Scott Steiner came out, I swear to God, to Steinerized. Big Papa Pump comes out to his 1991 theme song. And I know he has it for a few weeks because he has it next week. And so he definitely has it at Spring Stampede. And Scott Steiner cut a promo, basically redoing the promo that got him suspended two months earlier when he went off the script and uh, called Flair an egotistical son of a bitch and got suspended for it. Um, Steiner, call, Steiner called him an old bastard, which, by the way, wasn't bleeped or apologized for. Said that Flair and his old bastard friends tried to get him fired. And said that every WWF champion except for one came from WCW, and Flair and his old bastard friends got them fired. By the way, Brian, who was the one WWF champion that was not fired by WCW? No, in that time span. Okay. No. The, the Rock. So, Steiner said that he was not going to bring Flair up to his level, but is going to lower himself to Flair's level. So, even if you were to take that as a fact that you know, Scott Steiner is at a level above Ric Flair. He just said that he was going to bring himself down instead of bringing his opponent up, which put him in a lower position by saying that. I expect him to do a horse mouth impersonation of Flair. Oh. Oh, that's what happened next. And by the way, Brian, I'm sure a lot of people might be thinking, okay, this leads to a Ric Flair Scott Steiner feud. That might be interesting. That'd be awesome. The, I'm sure the pro the promos might be pretty good. However, yeah. this whole thing with Ric Flair and Scott Steiner was a swerve. Because it was done to build up to the return of Shane Douglas of all people. Showing up and attacking Flair from behind. Steiner was still calling Flair an old bastard when they cut away. And the announcer screamed that Shane doesn't work for the company anymore. But despite that, they still showed multiple replays of him attacking Flair. Yep. Not surprised. Kevin Nash then showed up. Over, oh, do you have anything to say about the segment but like you said like it would be a beautiful feud when Rick Flair and Scott Steiner together but I, I I don't think it'd be as spectacular interviews as you say they would be because they would be scripted like you'd give Scott Steiner and Rick Flair an open mic and be like you know what fuck it do your thing 
That would be awesome. But they wouldn't. They would be like, okay, you have to say this, this, and this, and this, this, and this. So, but yeah, it's bullshit. Shane Douglas comes back. Why? Because we're booking for the internet, and everybody was on the internet, so everybody knows that Shane Douglas doesn't like Ric Flair. Kevin Nash showed up over an hour late, by the way, in the 15th straight non-wrestling segment. Tell me, Brian, when you first watched this and you saw a basically a black screen, what did you think the fuck was happening next after Kevin Nash? I actually actually recognized it as Bret Hart. Well, Bret Hart was... Uh, I, at first, I, at, for a second, I'm like, why the fuck are they, why the fuck are they showing black? And I'm like, oh, that's Bret Hart. Bret Hart was sitting in... For a second, like, it was a screen. So, yeah. Bret Hart was sitting in pitch black in the back of the arena that almost nobody could tell you who the, who the fuck it was. And the announcers were like, oh, my God. And they went to commercial. Thankfully, after coming back, they put a little bit more light on him and showed Ric Flair, or I'm sorry, Bret Hart sitting in the stands. So Bret Hart is in the stands for some reason. By the way, um, that was not the first idea for where Bret should be sitting. Do you want to know where they wanted Bret to be sitting during this segment? During this 10-second segment? No. Think of the worst place in April of 2000 for Bret Hart to just randomly be sitting. Vince McMahon's office. They wanted him to be sitting in the rafters of the arena. Oh, yeah, no. For this 10 seconds. Yeah, he was going to be sitting there for 10 seconds. Yeah, no. What the fuck is wrong with Vince Russo? Would you like to list email to you? Yes, I would, actually. That'd be be interesting to uh, review next week. (laughs) So, Ric Flair was now backstage looking for Shane Douglas. Again, biggest arena in the world. Because right after Ric Flair is looking for Shane Douglas... Mean Gene is screaming at Shane in a 19th straight non-wrestling segment. Douglas said... Yes. Douglas said he's doing whatever the hell he wants. He called Flair a son of a bitch and said that Flair has been franchised and he's going to do whatever the hell he wants and told Gene to kiss his ass. Again, Scott Hudson did Yeah. Again, Scott Hudson did not apologize for anyone else's cursing except for Hogan. So after nineteen non wrestling segments, Brian, we finally got another match. It only took nineteen segments, but we finally got a second match. Sting versus Sid. So, this is the second match of our mini tournament to crown the number two contender for the world title. 
Oh my god. If you if you thought DBP and Luger was bad, this was worse. You think? Sid begins the match by punching Sting in the breast and then punched him in the balls. Sid could not even Nick Patrick is the referee, of course. Sid could not even sync up his foot stomps with the movement of his punches and his kicks. So he kicked Sting, and then a second later, he would stomp the ground. Sting made his comeback, and Sid, the linear world champion, no-sold a lot. He's a millennia man. Suddenly, music began playing. And the fucking wall came out. With the table. Sid is going to feud with the fucking wall. The crowd, who was actually making... The whole thing. The, The crowd, which was making a lot of noise for this really bad match, suddenly shut up. Somehow Nick Patrick somehow Nick Patrick got bumped. Brian, how did Nick Patrick get bumped? Um I think it was Sid Yes, yeah, Sting did some move to Sid and Sid kicked out and jumped in like uh power kicked out and Bill Sting on top of Nick Patrick I think it that sounds as good as anything else. So the referee is out, and so the wall attacks Sid with a chair, and then puts Sid through the table with the world's worst table bump on a choke slam. The referee wakes up, Nick Patrick. He sees Sid outside the ring laying inside of a broken table. And what does he do, Brian? Sid Vicious was counted out while laying in the wreckage of a broken table. Brian, talk about this, because I'm going to go crazy. He could have flipped on a banana peel and went through the table. He could have flipped on a wet spot. You know Sid sweats like a motherfucker. And gone through the table. He could have been running around the ring chasing the wall. Flipped and fell through the table. The rumors think he couldn't do it. Okay. The wall choked him. Choked him. Did not make any sense. Okay, but where did this table come from if you're the referee? Because the referee did not see a table set up when he fell asleep. Well, I think the, wall, the wall was coming out. The wall was coming out before the master got fucked. So, shouldn't Nick Patrick have thought, hey, what the fuck happened to Sid? He probably did, but it's Nick Patrick, so he had a list of things that could have happened. Oh, boy. So, Brian, were you happy with seeing some wrestling? You know, I'm so thrilled watching 
two matches where the average age of the patent is 42. I like that you actually looked that up. I did. I, yeah. Oh, okay. I would have taken your word for it. But anyway, that was enough wrestling. It was a believable guess if there's that. So that was enough wrestling because people are backstage walking. This is this is when I this is when I wrote. This is when I wrote. How big is this fucking arena? So Flair came out next. Go on. Oh yeah, no, not yet. Flair came out next and called out Shane Douglas. He said he's tired of listening to Douglas bitch and wants him in the ring. Backstage, Hogan is still throwing shit around. After a commercial, Hogan decided that Kidman isn't the only cruiserweight he wants to kick the ass of and beats up three count. Two of members of three count. Yeah, because Evan Courageous was injured, so he only beat up, only beat up Shannon Moore and uh, Shane Helms. And then, Brian, the beginning of the end came next. Yep. A video of the premiere of Ready to Rumble. David Arquette is going to be on Thunder on Wednesday. It is the beginning of the David Arquette era. I can't wait. You know I'm going to make you watch the match where he wins the title, right? Why? It's like four minutes long, and I really want to hear you review it. No. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't make me do shit. I cannot allow you on the show. Yeah, Lord knows I've never done this show by myself before. No, of course I've never. All right, so we're on a roll with wrestling because we got a match. Jeff Jarrett. Holy fuck, nuts. Jeff nuts. Flop nuts is out next. Jeff Jarrett and Kurt Hennig. The winner gets the match against the winner of DDP and Sting for the world title. The match started in... The loser, I think, appears on the show. Uh, no, the, the loser, we got to be bigger for him. The match started in the aisle. Um, Scott Hudson suddenly announced that Eric Bischoff is in a skybox, and Hogan knows. Oh, I... we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, and so, uh, what the hell was I going to say? God damn it, I don't remember what Yeah, I know, but I, I had something I was going to say, and then I forget now. Oh, yeah, I know I do. Um, in, in the one thing they did well, 
Mark Madden did not come back after Tank Abbott kicked his ass. Thank you, Because I was convinced that he came back out to announce the rest of the show. And I was going to be so pissed off. So this was a two-minute version of the Jarrett match you've ever seen. Even in two minutes, they managed to get their out-of-the-ring brawling and, you know, the craziness to break down into a single match. And all of a sudden, the WWF has invaded WCW. Okay. Sean Stasiak has invaded WCW. They say that, yes, that we know him as meat in the WWF. That is not something to bring up. This is one of those times to... No, it's something to brag about. Yeah. This is one of those times to pretend like it never happened. Um, Hudson then says, we know what happened in New York. No, we don't. Brian, do you know what happened that led to... Deshaun Stasiak not working for the WWF anymore? It's because... Um, well, I don't think he got fired for that. Because, you know, I don't know... I, I don't know if... I, I've never heard that Terry Runnels slept around with everybody. So, you know, it's unfair to assume that. I would like to apologize to Terry Runnels for Brian's unsubstantiated comments just there. And if you are somehow listening to this, Miss Reynolds, please do not take me into account for this. Feel free to come on the show and argue with me. Please come on the show. Please do not feel the need to argue with him that he, his assumption that you slept around. So, Brian, Sean Stasiak was fired... Because while he was traveling with travel partners, he would record their conversations that they were having in private. And then he would do the same thing in the locker room. No one knows why he was doing this, except he was doing it. And so they fired him for it. Sean Stasiak gets in the... The referee gets bumped somehow. I feel like I've said that before. So Sean Stasiak... Sean Stasiak gives Kurt Hennig a move. I don't know what he did. It was botched. He almost dropped Hennig on his head. And then, and then Jarrett gave him the stroke. The referee woke up. And Jeff Jarrett wins. So Jeff Jarrett, future world champion, cannot even beat Kurt Hennig cleanly on this program. It's Hulk, Kurt Hennig, though. Hulk Hogan is broken into a skybox and is now screaming at fans. I'm sure that they are thrilled that he was bleeding all over them. Kevin... By the way, oh god, June Kasai at the CZW show. Yeah, one that I got forced against my will to go to. Instead of watching Jay Briscoe, 
instead of watching Jay Briscoe uh, win the ROH World Title from Kevin Steen, we went to CZ fucking W. So Kevin Nash is on his cell phone. Ultimately, nothing came of this, so I have no idea what the fuck the point of it was. By the way, I should point out that after seeing Hogan search for Bischoff and Kidman for six hours on this show, he only went to one skybox before deciding fuck it and leaving the arena. He he must have lost a good fifty pounds, you know, just from all this exercise. I have to believe. Sting cut a promo saying he's worked his ass off nineteen eighty eight. He's the most loyal WCW employee. So Sunday he's coming after Bischoff's boy, Jeff Jarrett. Rick Flair and Shane Douglas was technically a match. Um they wrestled in street clothes, which was one other small, smart thing they did, because if we're supposed to believe that Shane Douglas doesn't really work here, why would he have showed up with gear? Well, you know, in theory, he was going to be put in jail for hopping a guardrail and attacking one of the wrestlers, so why have your little skimpy underwear yeah. ready? Well, Rob Gronkowski, Rob, Rob Gronkowski almost got arrested at WrestleMania, so. By the woman. She, she yelled at me, by the way. Did I, did I tell you that story? No. Remind me after the show to tell you the story, or after this night show review, to tell you the story about uh, my run-in with Rob Gronkowski and the security lady. So. The security lady. Yes. Because she works for okay. she works for WWE. Believe it or not, she was not just like a random person hired. See, so yeah, she works for WWE, and yet she fucking nobody bothered to clue her in on the fucking angle at WrestleMania. So Flair, by the way, what did I tell you? Wait till the end of this night's review, and I'll tell you the story. Okay, so Flair showed that he's better at building up a young guy than Hogan is, even though the the young guy Flair is working with has been wrestling, by the way, as long as Mick Foley, because they broke in together, and Mick Foley just retired a month earlier. And now Shane Douglas, a man who has been wrestling just as long, is one of the new blood And so this was officially when they called the old guys the Millionaires Club, because they couldn't just keep calling them the old guys all night long. And Vince Russo decided to come out. Vince Russo decided to come out and hit Ric Flair with a baseball bat for a disqualification. Uh, Douglas. Douglas, by the way, got bleeped. So I don't know what swear he used, but apparently. It's the one that gets bleeped. And then Russo stole Flair's Rolex. Now, Brian, you might remember a uh, 
a wrestling group by the name of DX. You might remember. You might even remember how how kind of cool it was, you know, ninety eight, ninety nine to be cross chopping with your friends and all that shit. That. That stopped being cool as Vince Russo stood over Ric Flair and did the crotch chop over and over and over again. And over and over again. Enough wrestling. Kevin Nash is out next. No. Hell yeah. Fuck wrestling. Our wrestling show. Bring out the old guys. Kevin Nash called Russo and Bischoff jack off about 5,000 times. Nash mocked the last three months of WCW and asked uh, what happened to the dog. And so Mike Awesome came in and beat his ass. That's what happened to the dog. Yep. He became Mike Awesome, I guess. By the way, Mike Awesome, one of the things he was not allowed to do, he was not allowed to cut a promo. So, of course, he picked up the microphone and cut a promo saying pretty much nothing. The crowd, by the way, had no. The crowd, by the way, had no idea who the hell he was. So that whole segment, the whole Mike Awesome thing, Mike Awesome was on TV for like thirty seconds. So if you were in the arena and you looked away for a second, you missed Mike Awesome. Even and that's if you knew who the hell he was. Okay. So this is important. Hulk Hogan is left the arena. He is outside the arena. Keep that in mind. He screamed into the phone that he was going to eat Bischoff's ass at some point. You know, personal choices. Who am I to tell somebody about their personal choices, right? Hulk Hogan gets into his limo, and suddenly the White Hummer appears and crashes into the limo. Eric Bischoff, he crashed into it like four or five times. Um, Bischoff was driving it instead of Kidman, you know, the person that's supposed to be elevated through this. Kidman was riding shotgun because he's a child, you see. This whole segment lasted 45 seconds, and they ruined a brand new limousine for this 45-second segment that nobody remembers. And you wonder why that was really my opposite. And then... In his 14th segment of the show, and I'm not lying about that, I went back and counted, Hulk Hogan was brought back into the arena so he could be put onto a stretcher and taken out of the arena. Did you notice that when you watched it? He was brought into the arena... He was brought into the arena just so he could be taken out of the arena. And Kidman ran up, by the way, because spray painting is cool. 
Kidman ran up and spray painted NB on him for new blood. We have been informed that TNT has allowed WCW to go an extra 30 minutes. Why? Well, we have we have hey we have Sting versus DDP, and if you remember, if you have the DDP DVD that just came out by WWE, or I'm, I know they put it on more than one DVD, there's a DDP Sting match from April of 1999. That's an amazing, amazing match for the world title where Sting beats Paige. So, obviously, these two can have one hell of a match, right? And plus, there were still, I looked on the counter, there were 10 minutes left on the show. It's not like a huge amount of time. You know, that's enough time to have a decent length match. The match went three minutes. This match to determine... Who is going to be facing Jeff Jarrett for the world title in the main event of a pay-per-view in six days? Went three minutes. It ended in yet another bullshit finish. Um, Jeff Jarrett came out for... Yeah. Jeff Jarrett came out to do commentary. Um, and these two wrestled like men that only had three minutes. Um, Jarrett then left the booth. And despite having a beautiful wife and children, he decided to go hit on Kimberly. So Paige went outside and fought with Jarrett. While that was going on, Vampiro showed up, and it was a swerve as he lays out Sting with the nail in the coffin. The announcers could not believe it on this night where, by the way, Vampiro, who, by the way, came out with the new blood earlier, which should have tipped off these announcers, that he was now a heel, but Vampiro turned on his brother in paint. And then Paige won with the diamond cutter. So the main event of Spring Stampede, the first show of the Russo Bischoff era, the main event, Brian, is Vince Russo's best friend, Jeff Jarrett, versus Eric Bischoff's best friend, DDP. Jarrett then went to hit... Yeah. It's like it's fixed or something. In one one of those segments that are going to get really annoying next week when we describe what happened at Spring Stampede, Jeff Jarrett then goes to hit Paige with a guitar. Kimberly then covered up long before Jarrett even swung, much less Paige moved. But Jarrett eventually swung, Paige moved, and shockingly, Jarrett hit Kimberly with a guitar. We immediately went to commercial. Brian, do you remember when, uh, during the Chris Jericho-Shawn Michaels feud, and Jericho accidentally punched Shawn Michaels' wife? Yeah. I can't believe you got the year, I can't believe you got the year wrong because I told you it. Two thousand eight. 
Anyway, so everyone remembers that because it was a, it was done really well. The acting of Jericho and Sean and the wife, perfect. They gave it all the time in the world to sink wow. in. Shawn Michaels wasn't on TV for two weeks, and him and Jericho were not in the same arena until a month later when they had their pay-per-view match where Michaels beat the living fuck out of Jericho. DDP was back in the next segment. This let the show is not yeah the show is not over by the way. Um, Bischoff and Russo tell Jarrett to go up back out and soak in the cheers of the crowd. So Jarrett cut a promo and said that he's going to win the title and he's going to show Kimberly more wood. Paige comes back out for the attack. And so Paige is then attacked by Sting. I'm sorry. After Jared and Paige are fighting, and then Steiner comes out, Luger comes out, Bagwell, Vampiro, and The Wall all run out for a five-on-two. I'm sorry. How many is that? One, two, three, four. A five-on-two beating, which, by the way, Luger was holding his own against three people. Sting came in and beat up all five heels by himself. Booker T and the Cat came out. And made it a seven, seven on three, and thankfully, that uh, that seven people was enough uh, for the new blood to get the best of three people. Who were all over forty. So Jarrett stood tall, but Jarrett's not the important person in this. Paige isn't the part, important person. Sting, Steiner, Luger, Bagwell, Vampiro, The Wall, Booker T. They're not the important people in this. Who is the important person, Brian? Brett Nope, not even. Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo. Because they're important because they came out to show you who was really important and shook hands on the ramp. And then as the copyright 2000 WCW logo comes up, Bret Hart appears from behind and looks at Bischoff and Russo. And three seconds later, the show is off the air. This Thank Jesus. This show was either booked by somebody with OCD or on LSD. Wow, pretty harsh, but okay. So let's let us let us go through the positives and the negatives, Brian. And by the way, I should I'm I'm, go, I'm going to apologize in advance. I said earlier that Bischoff was going to be on to talk about Mike Awesome, but no, I've already covered everything with Mike Awesome. Bischoff's actually going to be talking about uh, the criticism of too much inside comments on the show. So, the positives of the show: the show was not boring. It was a lot more frenetic than usual, and it was a lot more newsworthy than it has been. And even though we've done almost nothing but shit on the show, it was still better than a lot of night shows in the past six months. Can we agree on that, Brian? Okay. And, you know, while we find out how this all works out, 
There is an effort to push new people. While Kidman got squashed and made out to be a total fool, we're trying to get Kidman, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, Shane Douglas, all these people over as and putting them to the next level. And the other positive, which we'll right. we'll talk about this last positive after I talk about all the rating after all the negatives. But the last positive was the ratings of the show, Brian. But before I go in, before I go into specifics, the negatives of the show. Pretty much everything else. The wrestling was horrible. The show was way too inside. Like it was too inside for somebody who was watching the show in April 2000. But even if you were an internet fan in April 2000, unless you're someone like me. You're not going to remember half of this crap 17 years later when you're trying to watch it again. There was interference in every single match. Every match ended the same way where the loser was attacked. The loser was in control the entire match and was attacked by uh, the person he's now going to be feuding with. And it always happened with... uh, Yeah. And by the way, DDP ends up being the total loser because he got his ass kicked all during the Luger match and won on a fluke. Then he got his ass kicked all during the Sting match and won that on a fluke. And he is your number two contender, Brian, for the world title. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm missing myself. Enjoy. And the last negative, and this is... You know, one of the, it's a Vince Russo special when I talk about this last negative. Too much shit was happening at once. Any more, any comments on that, Brian? Would you agree, disagree? No, I, I agree. It's a typical Russo show. It's, it's the beginning of the downfall for WCW. Well, the rating. WCW got to celebrate this week, Brian. Raw did a six. No, Christ no. Raw did a six point two rating, which was down from a six point four rating on April third. And Nitro, what? Nitro did a three point one rating, which uh, their last competitive show was on March twenty seventh, where they did a two point six. And it was their best opposed rating since January 24th. February 14th did a 3.6 rating, but that was opposed, or I'm sorry, that was unopposed because Raw was preempted due to the dog show. So that's. Oh, that was fucking dogs. Yep. So that was Nitro. And next week, Brian, it's Spring Stampede. It's already a pay per view, and we know one match. I'm yep. for that one match. Yeah, I think it was the only good match on the show, too, which should get you ready for that show. I think there's like 16 matches. It's a three-hour show. And the way the counters are on the network, how they have like counters in each one, yeah. they're really short matches besides the last two. And I think all 16 matches, 
spoiler alert, by the way, I believe all 16 matches end in interference. Mm, not surprised. I bet you're not. Well, the first match I saw, two guys got a tag team randomly got thrown in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, we'll get to all that next week for Spring Stampede next Wednesday night. Now, Brian, what, what did I tell you to remind me to do? Yes. So you might recall uh, about a month ago, I went to SmackDown in Boston during the Superstar Shakeup. If you watched the show, you might even recall. Yeah, you might even recall that Rob Gronkowski was at the show, and I sucked his powers out because when he left, he slapped two people's hands, and one of them was the only Buffalo Bills fan in that building. And so I sucked all this power out and have given it now to the Bills. So when the Patriots go like 6-10 and 10 this year, you know why. Yeah. And so, yep. so anyway, SmackDown ends, and about 3,000 people go flying for the exit. Because no one wants to sit around for 205 Live, even with the promised Shinsuke Nakamura main event. So... I'm off to the side, and I decide I'm going to improve my seat for 205 Live. And the seats in front of the hard camera are three sections away. So I get up, and I bolt through the first section. No problem. I bolt through the second section. No problem. I'm going through the third section. I see the seats wide open. There's nobody sitting in them. I am so ready to go plop into them. And the blonde security guard who tried to arrest Rob Gronkowski jumps in front of me and refuses to let me uh, sit in those seats. She ordered me to stay in the section that I was currently standing in. So. No, I was still one over because I was trying to get into the section in front of the hard camera. So Rob Gronkowski and I have a mutual enemy, Brian. Yeah. So with that, Brian, do you have anything left you want to talk about? I do not. Hopefully next week this cold I have will go away. I will not be coughing my lungs out during the show. We know better than to hope for that, Brian. But that is going to do it. We are back, folks. So until next Wednesday night, when we're back with yet another fantastic episode, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again in seven days. Not going to say anything to wrap it up? Okay. Now, um, last night there was a lot of what I would call insider comments, and you could see in the building in Denver, you know, like I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the thing that I would say would be negative on the show as a fan was, I'm I'm watching announcers, you know, Scott Hudson, who you know I I think does a great job, but I mean he's trying to oversell something that the live crowd doesn't understand. It's like when he's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, and the live crowd is sitting there for, like, an insider comment, 
I think that it's almost like, you know, the people at home are going like, he's overselling something that doesn't exist because I think a lot, you know, a, a lot, I think the, the majority of the audience, when if the, if the fans live aren't really understanding, I think the majority of the audience at home isn't, and unless it's, the announcers are given the, uh, what's the, the leeway to explain when it's clear the audience isn't understanding a comment yeah. or the or the person who's delivering the comment, you know, even, even like your comment with the scissors with Sid Vicious, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, it was real obvious that like, you know, you know, most people don't know that story. It's a great story for people who do know. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's where it's got to be, I think some of the stuff needs to be better explained or it's just going, where people are just going like, what is going on in these storylines? No, you know, you're, you're right about that. And, um, it's a little frustrating for me, and, 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 but I understand why they're doing what they're doing, and, and really it's up to us to kind of you know corral everybody and say, okay, look, here's, here's what we want to do, here's what we don't want to do. I don't agree with the use of insider comments. I really don't, for the very reasons that you pointed out. Um, unfortunately, though, especially with young announcers, and you know, Scott's a relatively new announcer. He, he's, he's very new at this, and so is Mark Madden, for that matter. Um, and a guy like Shivani, who has, you know, obviously you know, a lot of experience, is trying to be cool in his own way. He's, he's trying to be relevant uh, to the audience. And we all forget, because we're also, everybody's adjusting to the, the, the whole Internet you know, phenomenon. And I, I mean, not just in wrestling. Our entire culture is adjusting to the Internet phenomenon, because it's, it's virtually affecting almost every aspect of our lives, uh, particularly in the entertainment business. And everybody's adjusting to it. But I think one of the ways that we've, Overcorrected, if you will, or, or try to over or overreach our embrace of the internet audience is by you know using a lot of inside information. It's true, guys like Dave Meltzer do it, and Wade Keller, and you know whoever else has got you know their own internet internet sites or their own news webs. Certainly, you guys do it, and our guys are affected by that. And sometimes to 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 kind of be relevant to that audience, they go too far. And we got to remember who our audience is. Our audience. Generally speaking, are people that have never been near an internet wrestling site or been near a a, a newsletter? If you was going to call it a dirt cheap, but out of respect for you, Dave, I won't call it a dirt cheap. Okay. What? Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.